Hi, I'm Kevin Harrington, an original shark from the hit television show Shark Tank, and you're listening to the Underdog Podcast. I've been too high up to fall, question marks, what's up with y'all? All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, underdogs, underdogs. All we know is over time, barking like some underdogs. Underdogs, 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 underdogs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Underdog Podcast. Today, I have an incredible guest here with me. Rohan, how are you, my friend? I'm very well. Thanks for having me, Pamela. It's a pleasure. Thank you so much for being here all the way live from Dubai. We've got quite a time difference over here. (laughs) (laughs) That's commitment right there. You're just waking up. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. That's literally, it's hilarious, like the different time zones and everything. And so I'm just grateful for you to be here. I'm so excited to hear your story. Um, You and Ari have a very interesting background, a very interesting business and how you've built and scaled all that you've done. So super excited to get into it. And I'm going to start with my first question because I want to know where all this magic stemmed from. Like what inspired you on your journey to where you are today, my friend? Yeah, so it's multiple touch points, multiple failures, but I think where it really started was back, I went down the traditional route, as do many people. You go to high school, you go to college, and you're like, okay, I'm going to get a a nice paying job that's stable. And funnily enough, my line of work was in psychology, so I specialized with a master in psychology. But halfway through my master, I realized, do I really want to sit in a room listening to eight different people's problems every day for the rest of my life and I had uh, just a like a p- epiphany like this is not really for me so I just typed into Google one day uh, how to make money online I watched a couple of videos on YouTube and my first business was actually e-commerce and uh, drop shipping so I was you know I would set up a store um, and I would like say, find some products like maybe festival wear clothing because I was living in the Netherlands at the time and festivals were huge everyone was going to raves parties So I was like, hmm, I like festivals. People like festivals. I can sell to those people. So I found a bunch of clothes that would be like, you know, glow in the dark and like light up bands and everything. The store completely failed. Like I didn't make any money off it, but it did ignite an idea in my mind where I was like, okay, there is a possibility with non-traditional methods of money-making careers. From there, it's kind of just snowballed. The third one took off and, you know, it was just scaling, scaling. Until uh, two years ago, I had a a brand that I scaled to multiple seven figures and I sold it to a VC. From there, I just had a bunch of time, a bunch of money, and I figured now I want to do something that's going to make an impact and solve pain point in the industry. And that's fast forward to today. The result is Orange Trail, which solves one of the biggest pain points in the advertising industry. That's so common that I'm sure every single person who's tried to run an ad at some stage has gotten banned. And often you don't even realize when you get banned why you're getting banned. So we plug that solution. We we solve that by having you know high level access to representatives at each platforms, and we basically help advertisers to run their ads with stability. Do what you do best. Run your ads. Scale. We'll handle the rest. That's incredible, Rohan. That I love though that you started with festivals and glow in the dark clothes. <laughs> that is hilarious oh my god let's reel it back a little bit though so where where were you born where'd you grow up yeah so i've had quite a journey i was born in pakistan when i was um around six i moved to ireland my family's in ireland now we're pretty much based there you might hear some of the irish accent coming through 
And from there, I just moved to the Netherlands to do master. And then I went on a bit of a rampage, actually. I've traveled to 35 countries, lived in Bali for four years. And now I'm in Bulgaria, between Bulgaria and Dubai. <laughs> that is so awesome. Oh, my goodness. And so growing up, like who or what was your biggest influence? Ooh, that's a good question. I was always very sporty. So to be in sports, highly competitive, I never thought I would go down this road. That was, I guess, this aspiration. I would look at how disciplined they are, you know, how hardworking they are. Like, I think the importance of hard work, and I think in part, it was also due to my parents because, you know, growing up in a strict household, you, you have to apply yourself, you know, especially in academia, you're either a doctor or a lawyer or a failure. Um, and I didn't want to be the latter. So obviously you just do what you can. But, you know, what's funny is that I just never really liked studying. I never liked academics, uh, you know, as part, possibly due to my ADHD brain. I just couldn't sit down and study. It just didn't interest me. So it was always sports or games. But funnily enough, I guess someone let me run multiple companies that are in multiple seven figures. So <laughs> that is so awesome. That is so awesome. Oh my goodness. And what did you want to be as a kid? Like you mentioned that you were kind of always into the sporty, but like, what was your dream? The dream was because look in Ireland and UK, you know, there's a lot of traditional growth towards uh, academies where you can level up to become professional football player and you know the premier league is like the the, the the mecca of football over there where you can become a professional football player and you're set for life basically as long as you don't get injured so that was the goal now i did have slight realizations as i got you know 16 17 you're like wow it's not happening yet i'm not i'm not scouted i haven't been given a contract so then you're, you know reality kicks in you're like okay maybe this is not gonna work let me find a contingency plan so that you always have to settle after, right? And for me, settling was the traditional path of, you know, I'll get a job, a nine to five. But funnily enough, I did a U-turn on that and I didn't want to settle just for that. I thought I was meant for more and I guess I was right. I love that. Well, like you said, doctor, what did you say? Doctor, lawyer, or failure? Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. It's so true though. Foreign parents are really... Um... They get to you, man. You know, they're mm. like, it's either this or that. And then it's like, well, no, because look at how you created multiple seven figure businesses, not being either one of those. Yeah. I mean, listen, the resistance you face, and I'm sure because you, you are Albanian, you, you would understand that the resistance you face from a foreign parent, not understanding your industry, not understanding what the heck are you even doing? It's crazy. They're like, no, it's not going to work. It's a scam or this, that all of the excuses out of the book, but then you're like, calm down, let me show you. And, you know, of course, it's nice when you can, you know, send send your, your mom a nice uh, transfer of funds saying, look, don't worry, you know, you're covered. I'm being able to take care of your, your siblings and your family because that, you know, that's my why. At the end of the day, you find your why, then you find out how, you know? So my why was always my family being the eldest. And then it was just about figuring out how, how am I going to provide for them? I absolutely love that, Rohan. I mean, it's a whole nother thing when you are dealing with foreign parents and like a foreign culture and all of that stuff. It's like you said, you're like, they're very distrusting. So they like don't understand a lot of things because a lot of new concepts and, it, and it's not really their fault because this day and age, the way that business is evolving technology, like on the daily, like a concept like drop shipping, like they would never understand. They'd be like, right. no, you need a store. And somebody has to come and come to that store. And right. otherwise it's a scam, right? You're like, what do you mean? You can just not, you know, 
So it's really interesting how technology has played such a huge role in, in business and all of that. And I mean, we'll definitely dive into that, but you know, regarding education and kind of like your life path and your life journey, as you were moving through these countries, what were some of the biggest lessons that you learned throughout the process? My thoughts on education system are a little bit uh, surprising to most. As someone who has a master's degree, I actually do think a lot of the disciplines and courses out there are scam. <laughs> and let me clarify before you bite my head off, let me explain what I mean. You will see a lot of graduates who have had X degree end up in Y field working, totally unrelated. Okay, the institutions and colleges, they overpromise and underdeliver on the job prospects. For example, I'll, I'll give you my case and many of my friends' cases where they're quite similar. It's I was in a master's degree in psychology, you know, good grades, everything was good, yet nobody wanted to hire me. And especially in the discipline of psychology, I just couldn't land a job. I was trying hard. So what did I have to do? I had to settle for sales, wearing three-piece suits to work, you know, getting on calls, calling CEOs in it had to settle graduating out of college uh, well most people i would say the exceptions are disciplines like medicine uh, law you know engineering there's no other way you can really go right. so but what i think is yes on one side they overpromise under deliver however obtaining that degree takes a lot of work and you need to be an independent thinker you need to be able to meet deadlines you have to be you know a self starter work hard because in in high school they tell you what to do in primary school they tell you what to do in college nobody tells you what to do you have to organize yourself you have to do everything yourself so it does teach you the skills at the very least which are you know everything i just mentioned i did learn to meet my own deadlines you know take initiative critically and independently think and that really hand in hand tied in with my entrepreneurial life you know because if I didn't have all that and I was always relying on something, hold, someone holding my hand, well, entrepreneurship is the total opposite, right? You really have to create your own path. So I think the education system can give you the skills necessary to succeed in life, but I wouldn't necessarily say that that piece of paper is the deciding factor. I've hired many of my, you know, I've hired probably over 40, 50 employees in my life full time. And a lot of them, they don't actually have degrees. I look for character. I look for their tenacity, how you know motivated they are, uh, how sharp and critical they are in their thinking. And actually, are they uh, you know are they self starters? Because I don't want to hold their hand either. We have a great work culture in our company where we tell them, listen, get the results. I don't care how you do it. I don't care how long it takes you. If it takes you half the time, it takes someone else. You can go home early. Um, so like that. That's in a nutshell what I would say about the college education system. Gives you great skills but at the same time can be misleading. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And I love that you've incorporated it a much newer mindset, right? Because before it was like, oh, what is, what do you look like on paper? And then you realize like those people on paper may not perform to what you want them to, right? right. So looking for character and hustle, those are things that you can't teach. You know what I mean? You either got it or you don't, right? Yeah. And so sometimes like people who don't have the educational background, have that and they'll be your best employees ever. So I love that. I love that. And what were some of your biggest life obstacles, you know, leading up until this point? And it could be business, it could be personal. And, and how did you come out of that? Uh, well, finances were always an issue. Like, uh, I wouldn't say we grew up in poverty, but we grew up quite poor. Like we, we didn't really have uh, too much to spend. My biggest support in my life has been my mom to the point where I didn't even have enough money or family didn't to 
go and do my master in the Netherlands. She had to sell her belongings and jewelry. And that's a sacrifice that, you know, will always stay with me. And I've rewarded back tenfold uh, and I will continue to do so. Uh, so, you know, finances were always one. And people see now like the lifestyle you live, 35 countries, you know, you're at the F1 in Monaco and they, they don't see what went into that behind the scenes and they just look at your highlights. And that's what social media is. You know, it's, it's your highlights, but they don't see that 90% of behind the scenes. So finances for one, for sure. Second is imposter, imposter syndrome. And this is a really, I, I would say people don't talk about this enough. Imposter syndrome has really affected me all my life, especially in the entrepreneurial yeah. journey. Uh, and maybe you, uh, it sounds like you might have some, some experience with that. Oh, too. yeah. Absolutely. When you're asking yourself, like, how is it possible for me to do this when I don't have this experience? And like, who am I to, you know, tell somebody what to do? You know, I, I get you. And you're kind of like fighting with yourself. And it's like, no, but I know I have the hustle and the tenacity to do it. But that like, it's like, you're literally like, it's like angel and devil on both sides, right? <laughs> of your shoulders. And you're like arguing with yourself. That's how I describe it. How right. about you? Well, how, what's been your experience with it? Because yes, you're absolutely right. This is not talked about enough and every entrepreneur goes through it, whether they want to admit it or not, especially in the exactly. beginning. Exactly. And then for anyone listening out there who is an entrepreneur and going through something similar, the the kind of aha moment came through uh, my girlfriend, you know, who's you know really into psychology and NLP. And she's, she's really, um, she has a great perspective on, on life and things. And she said, that's the, the last thing you should be facing. Yes, you face it, but you need to tell yourself, yes, you deserve this. You worked hard for it. Everything you have is as a result of everything you've been working for. Because the imposter syndrome comes in the form of like, do I deserve this? Like, am I really the right person to be leading? And absolutely you are. You know, entrepreneurial journey is, is very lonely and it's, it's, you know, there's a lot of pitfalls and everything and you start questioning yourself, but you need to always reaffirm in your mind and have a bulletproof mindset that yes, you do deserve it. Yes, you can do the job. Because if doubt creeps in, doubt really kills dreams. And this is uh, very dangerous. So for everyone listening out there, it's normal. Everyone goes through it, even you know the highest level of entrepreneurs. But you just have to keep telling yourself, I totally deserve this. I am in the right place. And you know I can do this. Because if you don't, that doubt will eat you from inside. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's so true, and especially in the beginning in the entrepreneurial journey or when we're facing challenges, we're just like, oh man, am I really cut for this? You know? So it's like that mental game is really mm -hmm. huge and understanding that really every entrepreneur goes through that and finds our own way to kind of cope with it. And the way that I kind of dealt with it was pretty much like, you know, listen, an expert was always once a, be a beginner. So you can't, you don't just start off becoming an expert. Even the experts are still learning. So kind of understanding that you're and accepting, I think that you're a work in progress. I think that was one of my toughest things was, you know, being a perfectionist that I am very hard for me to accept failure sometimes. And so like, that was something that I had to work through. Right. And understand that potentially, well, this could be a pivot to my business or this, you know, staying open-minded like that really helped grow everything it's like well that taught you that you're not so good at this but it also taught you that you're very good at this so kind Absolutely. of using it as an indicator everything happens for a reason it's all connected and it it can be aha moments in your life too and you just get it in the the most surprising way totally and when you started that first drop shipping business i love that you did that it's like what you see on on all of these like Instagram like advertisements like make <laughs> you know make six figures in six months online drop shipping we create the whole system for you 
Right. So in starting that, you mentioned that that was almost labeled like a failure. I say it in parentheses because I know it led you to your next endeavor. So walk me through that. And how did you know it was time to just like, you're like, okay, this isn't working. And how, like, how did you pivot to the next one? Picture this. You are a broke college student, barely able to, you know, afford your rent and you don't have much money, even just for like going out or, you know, food and any savings you have, you are putting into your online store. So Obviously, I set up the website. I did everything. I didn't have a single staff because I just couldn't afford to pay them. So I had to be, you know, the sales, the marketing, legal finance. I had to do everything. So you set it up and then you start to run ads. Now, paid social, Facebook ads, you know, Google ads, Instagram ads, they can be very powerful if you know how to do them right. But if you don't know how to do them right, they can also be very costly. So, you know, the initial phase was just a process of trying ads and you don't know if they're optimized or not. You, you know, the targeting, the creatives, it's very hard to get it right on the first go. So the kind of differentiating factor was I would take some images from, you know, the internet, which wouldn't be that optimized. They wouldn't be on a model. They would just be on a blank canvas. And of course, who would click on an ad like that? Who would buy that? You know, so it was more so that perhaps if I had better marketing and better know-how, which I do now, it could have made it work, but it failed. And from there... When I say failure, it's not a, ma a matter of like, I didn't get any sales. I did, but it was just not profitable. You know, I was either break even or a negative uh, return on ad spend. So it, it showed me two things. First of all, sales, which means that this works. The model actually works. You can get sales online. You just set up a website, find a supplier, you run some ads. So then it was more so, okay, I need to optimize and find the right products, feeding to the right audience. And in the last six years, I've had probably over 10 million in sales from e-commerce. And one thing I've learned is the problem-solving products are always the ones that convert best, especially at top of funnel traffic. What that means is cold audiences, the first time they see an ad. Um, because there's two different, there's multiple types of types of ads. You can get an ad that's um, an impulse buy, you know, that you don't really need it, but you're like, ah, oh, yeah, that would be nice. Let me get it. But then you have a problem-solving ad where it's like, it really hits home. I have that problem. I need this solution. So if you're selling a solution to somebody, you know, in essence, it's helping their life. It's improving their life in some way. They're more likely to purchase that. The current business I have, it's solving a huge problem in the industry. So for anyone listening out there, no matter what kind of business you have out there, try to think about what problems exist in your industry, in your sector, in your, your business and see what solutions are currently being offered for it. And can you improve on those solutions? Is there something that's not being uh, you know, offered? So you know, the, the product line that I eventually got to was sleep. You know, look at, let's look at the target market of sleep. Who sleeps in the world? Everybody. And yeah. then specifically within sleep, what kind of issues arise? Well, people have neck pain and you know, they have a, a lot of issues with you know, posture, so I started to sell these memory foam pillows that had a very beautiful, unique arch that would really aid your sleeping. So, you know, huge pain point, mass market audience, and the product was really cool as well. And we use very clever marketing as well. The combination of those three and perfect timing, you know, and when I say perfect timing, this is when COVID hit. This brand, I scaled up to 3 million. Everyone's sleeping at home. Everyone's, you know, on their laptops and phones purchasing. So it was like perfect offer, perfect audience, perfect timing, all three congruent managed to scale that business considerably. So, you know, 
you might have a good offer. You might have good marketing, but just maybe it's not the right time. Or you might have you know, perfect timing, but you just don't have the right marketing. So you really need congruence. And that's why it's good to audit every step of your funnel and look at where are you going wrong? You really need to audit every stage. Absolutely. You've dropped some gems there. I mean, because you scaled it from zero to 3 million and you mentioned a few things that got have the right product, the right offer and the right timing, which is incredible. So, I mean, the failures that you learned from, or the lessons, I should say, there are never failures from the first business was that it wasn't really a necessary product, right? You Now you've morphed into something that was more problem solving, which is these memory foam pillows, right? Festivals are optional, <laughs> right? Sleep is not. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of impulse purchase products out there that would do really well. And and they do, especially on TikTok, you log in that, you know, so I'm not neglecting that they do work and people make a lot of money from them. I'm just talking about when you are running an ad for the first time, someone sees it for the first time, because what is a social media platform? It's people's time with their friends and their family, they're yep. scrolling their feed. They're looking at people they know, or sometimes the people they like, and you're interrupting their day with an ad. So you better make it worth their damn time, you know, and it must be entertaining. It must keep their attention and it must offer some kind of value in some way. Absolutely. Absolutely. And so from your first business, essentially, you were able to kind of morph into Like, I love that you use that strategy in terms of like making sure it was the right timing, right product, right offer, that kind of thing. And for anybody who's looking at online sales, because this is like, you know, the market, when you try to research stuff like this, it's like, it takes half a century. So that's a problem right there. So when it comes to e-commerce, like what have been some valuable lessons that you learned there regarding strategy and like buying, basically like why do people buy, right? Like what motivates them, like the psychology kind of behind it, just some of the biggest gems that you've learned that could help somebody who's got an online product right now that's maybe struggling or, you know, they're trying to figure out ads or what have you. Yeah. So there's different areas that you could optimize for. So on, on the creative side, let's talk about creative marketing. You could have the worst product in the world, but if you have great marketing, you can make it work. You know, So I, I would argue marketing is probably the most important part of it. I mean, look at what happened with Fire Festival. You know, that was what a, what a shame that was, but they had great marketing. They sold it as Pablo Escobar's Island. You know, So I would say that you really need to consider the personas that you are targeting. For example, you have a product that's a sleep pillow. Yeah. You look at what personas are out there. Well, it would be people who have neck and back pain. That would be persona one. You might have women, females only that would be more interested in beauty and they care about beauty and yeah. long sleep uh, and sleeping well, because on average, according to studies, women sleep longer than men or need longer. And then you have the others who are maybe sports orientated or really into fitness and health. And that could be both male and female. So yeah, you need to separate into different personas. Take any product you have and look at who am I selling this to? And then according to each persona, you need to try different types of creatives. Whether that be an image or video, it does not matter. You need to have, first of all, the storyboarding of the personas. Then under each persona, think about, hmm, what kind of copy do I write to this persona? You know, when it's a, a sportsman, uh, you know, someone who's interested in health, you know, you could say something along the lines of optimize your sleep for a better functioning day. Uh, you know, whereas if it's someone else with posture, it's be like, uh, get rid of back pain forever with this, you know? So like you need to tailor your copy, your message according to each persona and then tie in with that. If you really want to go laser deep for each persona, try to get a model or an, a person in the video that fits that persona. You know, whether that be an elderly person who might be, you know, a little bit frail or someone who is, you know, a young female who's really into their beauty 
with lip cell puffed up, um, you know, so that's on the marketing side. Yeah, aside from the marketing, because that's uh, at the top of the funnel, that's where you acquire the customer. Then, okay, they're in the funnel, right? they're on the website, right? So your website really needs to have a branded feel. Think of how you would approach a website that you wanted to buy something from. Would you really buy from a website that kind of had suspicious kind of uh, shady vibe? You, you wouldn't, it wasn't optimized. You wouldn't buy from that, right? You should think about, would you buy from your website? And that's how you really need to think and look for the biggest brands out there. Look at how they've designed their color palette, how they've designed their images, their, their product descriptions, you know, their trust badges. Ha have a look at the top websites. Try to replicate and put your own twist on it uh, and give it a branded feel. And on the website itself, you need to be upselling and cross-selling products. Why? Because usually the first point of contact, the first product they buy, you, like you'd be lucky to make profits on that. It's usually on the back end that you make more from cross-selling and other products. So whatever the first product is, have make sure you have, you know, optimized upsells, you know, when, when they add to cart, you know, just have a pop-up of another product or bundles because you want to get your average order value higher. The revenue per customer should be high enough where it gives you enough margin with your cost of goods and shipping and your product marketing. Um, so just like the CRO, like conversion rate optimization is so important. And then on the other end, your logistics. So you really need to make sure that you have the product at the best rate and with the right uh, logistics set up. If you do not, customers are going to be waiting a long time. Your brand credibility, your reviews, everything will go down. Um, so like it, like I said, there's multiple phases and each funnel. The top of funnel is obviously the marketing. That's where you pull in the lead. Then they're on the website uh, and make sure you have solid SMS, email, you know, backend set up because a lot of people are going to see the product and click away. But it's your job to make sure you have the right backend set up where you can take them back from the email or SMS and convert them into a purchaser. So yeah, like my, my gems would be in e-commerce, really take care of your marketing, take care of your, your bottom line. And that means increase your AOV or cross-sell and upsell. So that means take care of your website. And on the logistics side, use you know suppliers that are the kind of at the end, not resellers. Because what resellers do is they'll take it from another supplier, from another factory, and they put their own margin on top every time. And you're getting the product very, very expensive compared to what the, the actual cost might be. So really do your due diligence, you know, find a supplier who actually is going to be the one that's going to be working directly with the factory. So the final point is on, on the factory side of things, really make sure that you are dealing with end providers and not reselling agents because you might be just paying unnecessary fees. And this is only for e-commerce, by the way. It's only for uh, you know products, physical products. Really make sure you do your due diligence, find a sourcing agent, pay them per hour to find a direct factory for you. And, and you know, don't work with resellers because you might just be paying unnecessary margin because each reseller will put from another reseller, another margin on top. And you're, you're at the top, you're paying like a premium and you could save all of this. I see it time and time again. You know, if anyone is out there listening and they really need some good sourcing agents, like of course, from my past, when I was dropshipping in the past and I had a brand, I have some good sourcing agents, feel free to reach out and I can make an intro. I love that, Rohan. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for sharing that. I mean, this stuff is all super key because e-commerce can be highly profitable or you could fall flat on your face <laughs> because you don't know all these nitty gritty details, right? That could really elevate your business. Like even that piece about the resellers, I mean, for somebody who's new, they don't probably don't even realize. They're like, oh yeah, this person's taking care of me. And then next thing you know, you're looking at it, you're like, oh crap, I'm throwing out all this money. Yeah. 
just a disclaimer, most of the people you see on Alibaba and AliExpress are uh, AliExpress are resellers. So just don't work with them. That's you're paying a premium. Right. And go to the end supplier, you were saying. That's really the key there. Yes. The actual manufacturer, yes. which are sometimes a little bit harder to to get a hold of, but worth it, obviously, margin wise. That's yeah. fantastic. And like Rohan, I'm so interested to know, like, how how did you transition from the the seven multiple seven figure memory pillow into the business that you're doing now i mean i'm i i see you've probably found that there was a problem in that you were willing to solve it when it came to advertising and whatnot so love to hear that transition of how you and Ari got into business into your current venture yeah um so again it was a great question when i sold that brand i had a bunch of time and not really anything to do. And funnily enough, you know, you make an exit, you get a nice chunk of money, you have time. I actually felt for those six, seven months, probably one of the worst in my life because I was just lack of focus, lack, no direction. I I felt unfulfilled. And it was actually a, a poor period in my life, I have to say. I didn't really enjoy at that time. I kind of felt maybe even slightly, um, you know, anxious and depressed, like, what do I do? While I was advertising for that brand, I realized how big the problem of advertising bands was. And it happens to everybody, even if you are selling pillows, because it was happening to me. And that's when I realized that this is such a widespread problem, very little information out there about it. And look, you know, Meta do their best. They are, you know, of course, trying their best to, to solve issues with advertiser compliance. But sometimes it's just too many advertisers and just not enough support, especially with the recent layoffs that happened. So in these cases, there is no other choice than to just provide support from another uh, agency. And so in this case, what we did was we got agreements in place with, you know, uh, ASPs from pretty much all the major advertising platforms, you know, Facebook, Google, TikTok, Snapchat, Twitter, Bing. So it's like 360, all of the advertising platforms. And we help to bridge that gap where there's the lack of support. Our agency does that. We have 24-5 support. So Monday to Friday, 24 hours a day, you can get support in Slack. Um, our account managers are around the world. Uh, what we provide also are specific high-level agency ad accounts, which don't get banned as easily. They have unlimited spend limits. They have a direct line of access to reps. And all of this is packaged in a way where you run your ads, you do what you do as normal. We'll just provide the maintenance. And we just take a, it's a very small fee. We just take a monthly fee of 500 bucks and just a small percentage of ad spend. But the peace of mind knowing that you don't get banned it's really huge for the advertisers. So a need, again, a pain point. I saw a solution and I was like, okay, let's let's do this. That's incredible. And and thank you so much for sharing that regarding, you know, before you started and kind of like what happens, right? Because the entrepreneurial dream is to build something, exit for a ridiculous amount of money, and then all of a sudden you're supposed to find happiness and rainbows after the fact, right? Yeah. And I can resonate with you the same that, you know, when I hit my first net seven-figure year, in real estate, it was almost like the worst because it's like, well, what now? Right? Like, okay, I did all of that. Now. Like, what's what's next? And that whole fulfillment piece. So I found it interesting that you went through the same thing as I did. And it's amazing that you were able to kind of go down this route and channel your energy into something so beautiful and start up something new. And how did you go about kind of finding and choosing your business partner? Because I think this is something that is not talked about enough in entrepreneurship as well. It's like, oh yeah, there's this idea and it sounds great. And but like, what goes into all that and having the right business partner 
in a venture with you. So, I mean, I actually downloaded an app called Tinder and I just started searching. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Uh, we, uh, I was living in Bali at the time and, uh, we know, there was um, some entrepreneurial nights that we would have, you know, we'd have a poker night, we'd have like, you know, movie night or whatever. Um, and one of those nights, like a couple of the guys came, they were from Europe and the area was from Bulgaria and a couple of guys from Poland. And they were really cool guys. You know, we just had like a... Nice meeting, and they actually needed a place to stay because they were just moved into Bali and they didn't have a villa yet. And funnily enough, I had three spare rooms uh, in in my villa. It was a huge mansion, and you know during COVID, all the prices were slashed down like crazy. I negotiated it was a multi million dollar villa, and I negotiated the price down to just three thousand dollars per month. You know, wow. <laughs> so- I got a good offer um, and, uh, you know, I had the space and, you know, we had like a games room, huge Olympic sized pool. Everything was great. So they moved in with me and we, we kind of just were vibing. He was running his own agency. I was running my own like businesses. And I think the Eureka moment happened after I sold my brand. I was still living with him. And I I, kind of thought of the idea and I was thinking like, okay, I I like the way Ari works. He's a very hard worker. You know, he's reliable because, you know, nowadays it's very hard to find reliable people, I have to say. And then, you know, you just look for character, you look for humility, you look for, you know, who is this person, where, what's his goals. And we aligned on multiple fronts. And because of that, I, you know, I I have to say I chose, I chose him as my business partner very well because, you know, we wouldn't be able to do this without each other. I think it's been a crazy journey. And all of this in a year and a half, imagine like a year and a half, 400 clients, you know, uh, 30 full-time staff. And I think it is more so like if you have one person pulling in one direction, okay, you can, you know, get so far. If you have two people with great capacity pulling in the same direction, you're going to get a lot further. So, you know, for people listening out there, only choose a business partner if you see their added value. You know, it doesn't make sense for two people and good at marketing to go into a business together. No, you need someone who might be good at marketing and another one who's good at uh, operations. They need to have, uh, you know, contrasting roles, but also complementing each other beautifully. Yes, absolutely. And you mentioned 400 clients in a year and a half and 40 staff? Uh, 30. 30, (laughs) 30 staff. That's incredible. And that's like the number one question that entrepreneurs ask, like, how do you scale at that degree? Right? Like what were some of the lessons you learned in in scaling so quickly and and maintaining that, right? Because you can scale quickly yeah. but maintaining it is another thing so there's definitely a lot of fires and you have to be mentally resilient to to face face the fire so to speak one of the challenges of scaling too quickly was uh, indeed finding the right talent you know what we learned is it doesn't make sense to look on the freelancing kind of websites out there you pay for a freelancer you're going to get a freelancer they'll tell you they're working for only you but at the end of the day, they're working for probably a few other companies. Their attention is divided, their focus is divided, and therefore they're not an A player. And we focus on only A players. So we found some strategies to find, even like with headhunters, to just find the right talent who are only exclusively working for us, really smart. And also remember, I have my psychology background in which I, my master thesis was on the hiring decisions, personnel selection. We have a very good like uh, system where, um, you know, Ari took the lead on the hiring, but I, you know, I also help with the systemization of how we are going to select them. There's multiple rounds. The initial is an unstructured interview. Then it goes into a work sample test. And then usually it ends with the final round structured interview. And from there, you kind of have a good gauge of who does things well. You know, For example, if you send them a work sample test and tell them you have 48 hours to complete this, they send it after three days, 
well, that's already a disqualification because we can't rely on them, right? So you look for these multiple factors which you assess. Another issue with scaling is when you don't have the right SOPs and optimized systems in place. What can happen is it just takes a lot more time to do stuff that should be done faster. So part of that is really diagnosing and looking at every flow of, you know, from the moment someone books the call, then joining our Slack to then contract, pay, start services. You need to look at how can I minimize that as fast as possible? Any business, you know, whatever business you're in, really look at what is unnecessary, what could be sped up. Um, and then lastly, it's also like, you know, at this scale, doing it this fast, you always get burned as well in the process. We've had clients run away on big bills. We had six figures in damages. Absolutely. I mean, business always has its things regardless, right? Like it's always has its lessons. I love that. I love that. But I love that you were able to take it and grow it from that space by finding the pain point in the industry and finding then a business partner that complements you where you guys can succeed and go further faster, right? Because oftentimes we're like, you know, as entrepreneurs, sometimes we're like, we get prideful and egotistical. There's like, oh, I can do it all. It's like, you're going to go further faster by having somebody by your side. So I think that's super, super key. And Ron, this is, this is my favorite question. Um, when this can be business or personal, whatever comes to you, but what would your older self tell your younger self based on what you know now? Oh, <laughs> okay. That's deep. I would tell my younger self to trust the process, be patient, be close to your family always. Cause you never know what can happen. Life is short. And one of the biggest pieces of advice I would give is just continue to work hard because I'm quite religious and I think God rewards hard work. He will give you opportunities, but you need to work hard because if the opportunity presents and you don't work hard, you don't capture it, you don't pick up the ball and run, someone else will. So the importance of hard work is it's crucial and, and just be mindful and kind and, and loving to others. You know, it doesn't matter if you don't know them or you do. Uh, yeah, love is the answer, as they say, you know, it's the highest frequency uh, in, in the universe. And I think, um, yeah, you know, love is the answer, love yourself, but also emit positive love into the world. I absolutely love that, Rohan. Thank you so much for sharing that. And in your world, what's happening in the next few months? Like what's what's new in your realm? I know you mentioned you were doing a little bit of traveling and kind of back and forth. So what's up? For the next couple of months in your world yeah well, we're actually going through a very uh critical period of um our agency right now where we're restructuring reassessing a lot of things uh so you know it's 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 game time for us right now um i'm not actually traveling too much aside from when i need to we have a conference coming up next month in barcelona so if anyone's going to be at the affiliate world conference in barcelona you know come come say come say hello to the orange shell team we have a booth there um, we have some goodies we can take care of you. Um, but aside from that, it's just business as usual, you know, have big dreams, big ambitions. And they, yeah, like I said, hard work is required. They won't achieve themselves. So for now, just going to keep the head down, Pamela. But um, I think once things stabilize as a founder, you want to optimize to the point where you kind of step back. And that would be the end goal. You know, I am the CEO of the company, but uh, ultimately you want to optimize and offload and delegate a lot of things so you know we're not quite there yet i have to say you know still working 10 12 hours a day but uh you know when that time comes uh i can take a little bit of a breather i guess <laughs> absolutely i love that rowan i absolutely love that my friend and 
I'm just, I love your journey. I love where you've started and kind of how you've grown now and kind of what you're evolving into and what's coming next in your world. I'm excited to see how everything shapes out. And, you know, I'm sure you'll probably have an exit in like a year or two and you'll come up with another brand that's going to be absolutely (laughs) incredible and, and crush it as well. Super grateful for all the gems you dropped here today. So many valuable lessons for e-commerce, business, life, everything. So thank you so, so much. Now you've got to let everyone know where to find you and your awesomeness. <laughs> sure, Bob. It's been a pleasure, uh, by the way, Pamela. Thank you very much for having me. Our website is orange.io. If you connect with me on Facebook, Instagram, name would be Rohan Khan. Uh, so that's Rohan and Khan. <laughs> Uh, no relation to Genghis, by the way, uh, I checked. So um, nothing there. <laughs> I love it, Rohan. Thank you so much for being here today, my friend. And I'm sure everyone will connect with you. Thank you so much for dropping those links. And I appreciate you coming on today. I loved hearing your story, my friend. Thank you. Thank you so much, family. I appreciate it. Thank you. So that's it for today's episode of Underdog. Catch us next week, always dropping on Thursdays. And remember, if you're interested in real estate or want to learn how to create more money and magic in your life, check out meetwithpamela.com and let's chat. Sending you so, so much love.